0: So the latest installment of Marvel Comics' Avengers is considered one of the greatest comic books of all time. Paul's nodding his head in agreement, right? Uh, I think it's okay, and a lot of my high school friends would disagree with me, and we debate on uh, which, if this is the best, but I think what we do agree on is what is intriguing about this film is the central character The villain, Thanos, is what makes this such an interesting film. See, if you haven't seen it, Thanos thinks that he is a god, and he is going from planet to planet, creating, in a sense, salvation by eliminating half of the beings on each planet. And now, in this film, he heads to Earth, and the Avengers are trying to stop him from doing the same thing on Earth. So this is the complexity of the film. This is what makes it such an intriguing film. And for many, especially the younger audience, this is an introduction to ethics. What defines good and right, and how do we get there? And when someone, including a summer blockbuster film, points out that gods, including the Christian god, tend to create human salvation through death and even mass destruction, simple black and white good and bad type questions then become a bit more complex. So we're entering into a series for a number of weeks this summer called Character Matters. And we're going to be looking at a number of different character traits. And at first, we think it could be easy to think about uh, what it is. Each of these traits can be an easy thing, and today we're speaking on goodness, and often we think, well, I know what goodness is. I know how to do the right thing. Um, But as we look into this, it becomes a more difficult thing than we first think about. And as we think about changing into having good character, we realize it's not such an instantaneous thing that will happen. So in today's series... uh, Uh, I believe it was Pastor John who came up with the different topics. And uh, I think when he created this title, I'm not sure, I didn't get a chance to ask him before he went on sabbatical, uh, if he was aware that Do the Right Thing is actually the title of a 1989 Spike Lee film. And in this film, uh, it's called Do the Right Thing. It centers around racial tensions on a specific New York City block on the hottest day of summer. Spike Lee gets you to think what is the right thing to do in this community and with the actions that play out within the film? So first off, let me say, it's not a film I will endorse as a uh, City Church Youth Velocity film due to the amount of language in it, but it is a film we actually watch in the Southwest High School film classes. And every semester, as we, first we analyze the artistic value of the film, and then the last question that the professor always asks, he says, do you think the main character, whose name is Mookie, do you think Mookie did the right thing? And then we listen to the students go back and forth about why he did the right thing or why he did not do the right thing. So it's not a spoiler to say that the, the film ends, uh, the very last thing, the film ends with two quotes. Uh, they may be quotes that contradict each other, or they may be quotes that coincide with each other. And each quote is rather long, and the subject matter doesn't fit our message for today, but I I wanted to give you just a quick example because showing the example does speak into our message that we have today. So the first quote that, that comes up is from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and he starts the quote by saying, violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral and then the, the longer quote goes on to explain by what he means by that and then then it fades out and the next quote that comes up is by Malcolm X and he starts out by saying i believe there are both good and bad people within america and then he ends with this quote Oops. Actually, if you'll help me slide back up to the second part. There we go. It doesn't mean I advocate violence, but at the same time, I'm not against using violence in self-defense. So with these quotes at the end of the film, the viewer then must contemplate, is violence ever appropriate? Did Mookie do the right thing? So it makes me wonder, how do we know what the right thing is? And when I was uh, in high school and this film was in the theaters, my first thought was, well, I'm going to side with uh, Dr. King's approach because he was a Christian and I'm a Christian, so that must be what the right approach is. That got the endorsement to it. Um, but even as we look back, other Christians, people who follow Jesus, who had Bible-believing views, did not agree with Dr. King The opponents were both attempting to follow Jesus. Both Dr. King and his opponents were Bible-believing Christians. Many of them were also seminary-trained pastors, much like Dr. King as well. They both believed they were doing the right thing. So the question is, how do we know then, when even as Christians, that we are doing the right thing. So this is what ethics is. And uh, the, the seminary I attend, we, one of the requirements for the Masters of Divinity program is we had to go through two courses, two different semesters of ethics. And one of the things that I remember is that learning, uh, one of the things we learned is that we learn ethics from a very young age. We learn about the moral codes of our family, the moral codes of the school that we're in, uh, our country, our neighborhoods, our church. So as Christians, then, how do we define ethics? One of the quotes that I liked in my studies from that is from Christian ethicist Robert Lovin, who says, everybody wants to live a good life, and nearly everybody thinks about how to do it. So he's not talking about, at this point, he's not just talking about Christians. He says, everybody wants to do good. And then he goes on to define Christian ethics, as the Christian stance is an approach to moral problems that begins from a set of beliefs that are generally generally shared among Christians, including beliefs about God and about how God's presence in Jesus of Nazareth reshapes human lives and indicates the direction of human history. So, I think this is a good definition, and I like this one. Um, But as we look at different Christian ethics, we find there's not just one simple answer. To contrast that, even, is uh, from the KKK's statement of belief. It's derived from an understanding of Christian ethics. Part of it says, the Knights Party is a political organization and believes we rightfully place our foundation upon the word of Jesus Christ. And then another view from an ethicist that I love to read from his name's... uh, Miguel, uh, Miguel de la Torre, and he defines Christian ethics as he believes that the understanding comes from when we look at our ethic through the understanding of the liberating God of Exodus and Jesus Christ, who rescues and stands with those who are marginalized. He teaches that to understand Christian ethics, we must understand an ethic that comes from the margins of society, rather than through positions of power and of wealth. So as you can see, there's not one simple definition of what is a Christian ethic. So I think of De La Torre's definition, definition of ethics when I read the gospel accounts of a wealthy man who wants the eternal life that Jesus offers. So let's look at the gospel of Mark today. This is in a couple of the gospels. Oops, sorry. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to look at the, the one in Mark. And if you want to follow in your pew Bibles, we'll be camping on this verse today. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, and it starts at 10, Verse 17. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So if we were to consider De La Torre's definition of ethics, the rich man not doing the right, was not doing the right thing because he was not willing to give up his wealth, right? I think it's one that we can easily say, and I think that's part of it, and I would agree with that. But there's also other views that would say, well, it's, it's the heart. That was what was wrong. Like Jesus knew the heart of this man, and so he knew he wasn't going to give that up. His heart was not right. But I think we can look at this even a little deeper still first thing we see is that the man knew his scripture, his theology. He wasn't willing to follow Christ. He knew the right thing, but he wasn't willing to do the right thing. So Devin informed me that in this sermon series coming forward, he's going to be sharing about the account of King David with another man named Nathan, and I'm not going to give away too much of that, but... um, Nathan tells David a story about a rich man who steals from a poor man. Nathan uses this as a figurative story. So David doesn't at first realize that Nathan is actually talking about King David. So David's appalled by what this rich man has done. And because he's the king, he lays out, well, this is the justice that has to happen to this man for doing such a thing. He doesn't realize he's actually talking about himself. David knew the right thing. But David actually wasn't doing the right thing. Doing the right thing at first seems simple. We all want to do the right thing and we all think we are doing the right thing. We all believe we have right thoughts. Life and ethics seem easier to understand if we just paint everything simply black and white. Everyone who thinks like me must be right and everyone who doesn't think like me is clearly not right, correct? Does this go through your mind? So I hope you're starting to see and understand that doing the right thing isn't as easy as we first think. So how do we do the right thing? And I think our passage today will lay this out. First, the first thing we see in verse 19 is know the scripture. Jesus points out at the starting point of this man's question, he says, you know the commandments. How do we know what is right unless we learn what is right? But a month ago, I spoke more on this as we talked about the the reasons we need to know the scripture, the reasons we need to know Bibles to ground, and in this case, to ground our knowledge into something where this is our starting point. And then the man even comes to Jesus as a teacher. He calls him teacher, rabbi. And he says, you're a teacher of good. So know the scripture. The next thing we see comes up in verse 21. Then give up of yourself. Give up who you are. Jesus, in verse 21, says, one thing you lack, go sell everything. Everything in America, in our life, is, it's, it's all about us, right? Everything, we get hit with this constantly through advertising, uh, through, through thoughts of health, through our political views. It's all about us. And the Christian faith is not about us. If you actually back up uh, in your Bibles, just one chapter to Mark 8, in verse 35, in the Pew Bibles, it takes a couple pages to get back there. <laughs> and Jesus says in verse 35, he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And this passage, I don't think is talking necessarily about martyrdom. It could, but it's about what defines you and what consumes your thoughts and what consumes your life. So if your job, your school studies, your sports activities, your family even, if they're the most important things and the things that you're pursuing the hardest, there's a good chance that Jesus isn't that important. That if you're pursuing something so hard that you're not pursuing Jesus, it's taking its place. And Jesus says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. So the rich man, he was holding on to his wealth and he was likely holding on to his time his position of power. Luke's gospel says that he was a ruler. So what are you hanging on to that keeps you from following Jesus and in entering into the kingdom? Is it your identity? Is it your power? Is it your success? Is it your wealth? What consumes your thoughts? So when we cling to these things and that have such a high important importance for us, higher than Jesus, how hard it is for us to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not that Jesus doesn't want you, because if you look, Jesus It's prefaced by Jesus telling this man, Jesus saying that he loved this man. Jesus wanted him, but this man rejected Jesus. And then immediately after, after Jesus says, go give of yourself, sell of everything of who you are, give it up, then he says, then follow me. First give of yourself, and then come follow me. It doesn't, Following Jesus doesn't just mean believing in Jesus and getting baptized and then coming to worship. If you notice, the man came to Jesus and kneeled before him. So it's likely this man did the same thing. Following Jesus literally means doing the things that Jesus did. Don't just believe in what Jesus believed in do the things that Jesus did. We always believed that we would have sided with these great Christian act- activists from our past who, who reshaped and shifted things going on in our culture and in our faith. But how many of us are willing to walk along with the activists of today? Or even more so, how many of us are willing to be the pot stirrers? How many of us have a strong political belief that drives our decisions to vote the way we do that comes from our Christian faith? And how many of us actually take the time to be actively involved in those issues? And for the answer to my question, posting on Facebook doesn't count. (laughs) And, And spending one hour every four years going to vote isn't really passionately using your time. And I'm not trying to discredit those things. I think those things are both really important and a part of that. But are you actually spending in these times, times in these things that you claim to be passionate about from your Christian faith? Are you doing the things that Jesus did? Are you spiritually mentoring people, having dinner with people who don't believe in God, spending time with your Christian community, studying the Bible, praying and going on retreats? These are the things that Jesus did. And the rich man that Jesus comes to in this point, he says, nope, sorry, I don't, I don't have the time to do that. I've got too much going on. And Jesus says, well, you asked what it takes to enter into my kingdom. So the last point, don't do it on your own. There's another powerful man who comes uh, up to Jesus, and he also asks questions about the commandments. And he asked, what's the most important commandment of them all? And Jesus said, love God, and then love others, and have a healthy love for yourself. And he said, all the other laws fall on these things. That's what Jesus said. You guys, don't let your trying to achieve this understanding of theology and ethics to hold you back. As we're seeing today, it's a complicated thing, and that's fine. But don't let it hold you back from taking action. Don't get hung up on being fully knowledgeable about scripture or ethics or theology before you do something or are willing to disciple someone or are willing to stand up for the marginalized people in society. Loving God and loving other people is the most important, and the rest will work itself out if you are doing those things earnestly. So as a seminary student, I I often get caught up in trying to discover and understand what the correct theology is, what's the right theology. Uh, And I've had seminary students and other ministers I've worked with where we have a, a, a growing and actually fun time debating theology, even if we vastly disagree with each other. But I've seen people in the public view and just people around me as well who spend more time in the debate than actually living out what it is that they believe. I recently heard uh, an author named Bob Goth say in a podcast, he said, loving people the way Jesus did is great theology. So when we are worried about having the right theology, this is it. This is Jesus' teaching. Love God, love others. Everything else comes into play in this. And when Jesus is talking about the others, he's talking about those who are different from you and actually those who you may not actually like. So, you can't do this on your own. You need God. Verse 27 says, You need God for salvation. Before that, Jesus said, You need to be with me, right? He says, Come follow me. And then I was referring back to the parable of the Good Samaritan when he says, You need to, Jesus says, You need to be with people who are different than you, who are really different from you, and people that you might not even like. You can't do this on your own. So when we pull these four things together to do the right thing, I think the last hang-up that I hear people talking about as I minister to different people, I've seen people getting into waiting on their calling. They say things like, I know the right thing to do. I would do something, but I'm still waiting on God to call me to do something. And I know it's going to be something big because the world is such a mess right now. And so they sit spiritually frustrated that the world is a mess and that they're still waiting on their calling from God. And then in the meantime, they pray for God to fix the mess of the world. And they wonder why it's not getting fixed or why the calling is not coming. And I can't close this message out better than a quote I heard from a pastor and author named Erwin McManus that he said at a conference a few years ago I was at. And he said this. He said... I hear people of faith saying all the time, look at the mess of this world. Why doesn't God do something? It's time for us to stop screaming to heaven, God, do something. And we need to hear God screaming back from heaven, saying, I did do something. I created you. Now you do something. Let's pray. God, we ask that you be with us through our understanding of what what is good and right and pure. We ask that you give us the wisdom and then that you give us the inspiration. May we understand that our calling is just simply to follow you. May we be willing to follow you. May we put you above everything else in our life. In your name we pray. Amen.